Matthew chapter 20. Did I say 19? I know you guys were worried there for a second. Well, we left off at the end of Matthew chapter 19 last week. Uh, where Jesus had spoken to a rich young ruler. And in speaking to the rich young ruler, uh, after speaking to him, the, the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. He was full of sorrow in his heart because he was very rich. And because Jesus had said to him, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be complete, as he was asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, he says, hey, go sell what you possess, give it to the poor and follow me and you will have treasures in heaven. And the point being that to enter eternal life, it's not that we have to sell all our stuff and give to the poor. The point is that to enter the kingdom of heaven, that this man must put his faith in Jesus Christ and not his riches. And then Jesus went on as the man leaves and he speaks to his disciples about the impossibility of the rich entering the kingdom of heaven, the impossibility of the rich in entering the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it's with great difficulty. He says that the rich enter in the kingdom of heaven. Well, what, what's he talking about there? Well, it's because people tend to trust in their stuff and not to not in God. That's an obstacle to trusting in Jesus Christ. And so Upon seeing this interaction and hearing Jesus' teaching on riches being an obstacle in the hearts of people to enter in the kingdom, Peter then pipes up and asks on behalf of, of the disciples there in verse 27 of chapter 19, see, we've left everything and we followed you. We've, we've done this actually. We've, we've given up everything and we are following you. What then will we have? What's our reward? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And so Jesus says, not only will I give you recompense, I will also give you eternal life for those of you who have followed me. And he was being specific there because one of them was not following him, Judas. Pretty amazing stuff. And in verse 30, he follows that immediately by saying, but many who are first will be last in the last first. And so he just throws us a total curveball. Because Jesus wants to teach his disciples something else about the kingdom, something else about the kingdom. And then I'm just going to read our section today, starting in chapter 20, verse one, he goes for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Verse two, and after agreeing with the labors for denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idly in the marketplace and said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will pay, I will give you. And so they went and going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same verse six and about the 11th hour. He went out and found others standing. He said to them, why do you stand here idly all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when an evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. Verse 11, 
And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last workers only worked one hour, and you have made them equals to us who have borne the burden of the day and the, scorch of the, and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, My friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Verse 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd open our hearts and minds to your kingdom, to the way you do things and that we as your people would have our hearts and our minds transformed in this next little bit that we would no longer think of the way of the kingdom of men regarding these things, but the way that you think and that we would honor and praise you for it. And Lord, I pray you'd fill our hearts with just such gratitude for your generosity towards us in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this parable is sandwiched between two phrases at the end of chapter 19 and, and verse 16. Okay. So at the end of chapter 19, it says, uh, it says the last, but many will be, uh, well, they both say the last will be first and the first will be last. That's what they're saying. So there's that principle there. And this is the point of the parable. He begins with it and he ends with it. And once again, what Jesus is going to do with this parable is he wants to illustrate the point that the last will be first and the first will be last. What does that mean? Once again, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the nature of the kingdom of God. It's as if we, he is describing to us a place in a people in a kingdom that we have never understood and do not understand. How many of you have been to a different country where they do things totally differently and you come back and you try to describe that to an American? Anybody ever experienced that before? Yeah, totally. We have friends or my daughter has friends who are, who are Filipino and they grew up in Thailand and, and they come over to dinner and they're sitting there and they're kind of fumbling with the silverware. And, we're, and, we're, and I, I, I happen to know because I took a mission trip to Phil, the Philippines a couple of times and they don't do knives as much as they do spoons. They cut their food with their spoons and then they eat with their spoons and it's just how they work. And I'm like, yeah, hey, just go ahead and use your spoons. They're like, oh, thank you. Oh, please. Thank you. But we're just going, what are you talking about? Well, in the kingdom of the Philippines, the knives are irrelevant. The knives are irrelevant, right? And so there's these things that are from God's perspective that are kind of foreign to the way that we do things. And so what Jesus was, what he often did is, is took things that we would understand so we can kind of relate in a way to how he works. And that's what he's doing here. And he's been doing it with the disciples. And so we've seen that they've been struggling with selfish pride. Does anybody struggle with selfish pride, self exertion? I'm better than they are. Why aren't I getting this? I never struggle with this. I know many of you have. And so Jesus, <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. All right. <laughs> but anyways, Jesus is headed towards the cross. If we flip to the next chapter, he's, he's, it's the triumphal entry. Okay. So Jesus is right there. If you, if we go on in the chapter, he's going to tell them I'm about to go to the cross. If we keep on reading through the chapter. So t 
time is limited and these guys are thinking selfishly and they're going to be thinking selfishly all the way to the cross. But Jesus nevertheless is going to revolutionize their thinking by the power of the Holy spirit. He's going to change the way they think about the kingdom of God. This is what God does. He transforms us by his grace, by his spirit. And he lets them understand how the kingdom of God works, the kingdom that they are now a part of, or they are going to be a part of. And so we have seen him teach them that unless they become his children, they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember they were arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That it isn't the self-promoting person who enters. Listen, that's the way we work. That's the way the kingdom works. Self-promoting, go-getting, stepping over people. Of course, we do it with pleasantries and all that type of stuff, but we climb to the top and we crush everybody else beneath us. That's within the heart of human, of humanity. Yes. I know. I know we, we, it's, it's, it's on the scale. I'm not as bad as the next guy, but we all have that propensity within us. It's, it's the nature of humanity to self-promote. They were doing it. He says, no, no, no. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's not those who self-promote. It's those who are poor in spirit. Those who are like children who just respond in humility to God. Those are the ones who enter the kingdom of heaven. The pride, pride is an obstacle to entering the kingdom of heaven. Just as trusting in riches is an obstacle of the kingdom of heaven. That's what he goes next. He allows them. He showed them that it isn't the rich who enter the kingdom of heaven. It isn't the ones with status that enter the kingdom of heaven. That's how the world works. That's how we work in, in our fallen nature, that it's those who have, who have access. Yes. Those with resources and connections and all those types of things can have access to these things. And I'm not doing socialism. I'm just saying this is how it works. Right? Yeah. In general, but God, that's not the way it works in the kingdom. That's not his kingdom. That's not how it works. It's foreign. Riches are irrelevant. They can actually be an obstacle. It's not a knife culture. It's a spoon culture. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It isn't the rich you enter, but rather the poor in spirit. And Jesus said in Matthew six, you can't have two masters. You can't serve two masters. You're going to love one or hate the other. I'm paraphrasing here. You can't serve God in money. You can't do it. This is what Jesus says. You in my kingdom, I have to be number one. I have to be number one in your life, whatever it is, riches, family, status, reputation, selfish pride, whatever you want to say it is. Those things are an obstacle to my rule in your life. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven without me being Lord of your life. Trusting in me, in me as savior. That's, that's what he's saying there in many ways. And so he teaches them about the impossibility of those who trust in riches entering the kingdom of heaven. But he also says, listen, that's impossible with men, but, but uh, guess what? Everything is possible with God. And we know many people who are, who, who, who are well off and, and who use their resources for the kingdom, who have been transformed by God because God has done a work and they don't trust in those things. They trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and they're stewards, not owners of those things. Amen. Praise God. God can do anything. And same with family and same with jobs and status and reputation in the world and all that kind of stuff. 
God makes it and puts it in perspective, but it's so hard to overcome those things. And the Lord teaches us by his grace and by his spirit, how to be changed from the inside out. He does that work in us. Praise the Lord. And now Jesus is teaching them that in the kingdom, it isn't the first who are first. It's not the first who are first. He's saying contrary to that, many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. In other words, God doesn't do things the way that we do things in the kingdom. It's not his way. And so to illustrate this in our mind, in our hearts, in the hearts of the disciples, Jesus paints a picture with something they all would kind of understand and see. And the, and the, the picture was the laborer in the vineyards. He says there in verse one, as we kind of just chunk through it here, it says for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So Jesus uses the imagery of how many of you kind of understand this imagery living in Walla Walla. It's an, it's an agrarian picture. It's a picture of you got a, you got a farm or a field. You've got a, you've got a vineyard and now you need people. It's harvest time. And so what do you do at harvest time? Well, you just go out there by yourself and pick the grapes one by one. No, what do you do? You ramp up. You got to ramp up all your workers. And so living in Walla Walla, we understand this. Jesus is describing harvest time. The owner of the field is going out right now. All the farmers and all the other people in Walla Walla, they are ramping up for what is coming here in the next month or two. They're hiring laborers, obviously not the morning of, but they're hiring you know, bank out wagon uh, drivers are hiring, hiring the combine drivers and those who do the fuel trucks and the grain trucks and work at the granaries and all this stuff. It's all ramping up right now. Or if it's not already ramped up already, it's probably already done knowing farmers, man. Who knows? <laughs> so there's a lot of hiring going on pre-hiring. And, and if you are going to work harvest, you know, also that the days are long. Remember John, John working harvest, where you John, John working harvest, sorry, pointing to his normal seat over there, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a minimum of 12 hour days. And, and with our technology, it goes longer, right? We can, we can work at night. Well, in their time is when the sun comes up to the, when the time sets, it's a 12 hour day, 6am to 6pm is, is the picture here that Jesus is using, uh, using. And so harvest begins early in the morning and the parable starts at 6 a.m. The master of the house went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. It is harvest time. There's work to do. In verse 12, verse two says, and after agreeing with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And so with this first group of workers, the wages set, the wages set is a denarius. A denarius is a general term for a, a general laborers one day's work. That's what it is. So you figure 200 bucks a day, 12 hours, you know, whatever it is, 17 bucks an hour, whatever it is, 12, you, however you want to put it out. It's just say $200 a day. We're not going hourly here. He's just saying, I will pay you at the end of the day, what you work for the day. Let's say 200 bucks. Okay. And they agreed to work for that set wage and they were sent out into the master's field. Well, verse three says, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idly in the market marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever's right, I will give you. So they went. Interesting here. So the third hour, it's 9 a.m. And he goes to the marketplace and he sees workers standing idly there and he hires them, but he doesn't give them a fixed wage. He says, I will pay you whatever's right. Different than the first group. He just says, I'll pay you what's right. They agreed to that. Not probably not knowing their wage or maybe talking to the other guys and kind of knowing 
the general scale of stuff, whatever it is. And they went, they're hanging out in the marketplace. They haven't been hired yet. You know, when I grew up in San Diego, I don't know if it happened here or not, but every morning as you passed home Depot, there'd be a bunch of guys waiting for work. Uh, usually immigrants waiting to be hired. And what had happened is all the contractors and people would know to go to home Depot in the morning. If they needed someone for the day, they would go and they would negotiate the wage with the person. They'd hop in the truck and they'd go work for a day or if they needed 10 of them or stuff. That's, that's the way it was when I was very, very young in San Diego as people were coming up South from Mexico for the, for the season. And so that's what would happen. They were hanging out in the, in the marketplace, standing idly by waiting for someone to hire them. You know, before I came to Walla Walla, I also managed a branch for a construction staffing company. And so it was day labor basically for construction staffing. There's other things we did as well, but it had a labor hall in it. And so what would happen is really in the morning or which is, you know, 5.36 a.m., everybody would pile into this into this room and they'd be waiting for calls for work for day labor. And uh, my coworker and I would fill those orders and we would put them on job sites, give them the necessary equipment, negotiate all the contracts, all that kind of stuff. And I would I would not only fill in those orders, I would I would go look for work for them. I would look for workers as well. I would I would go find people to fill certain jobs because. Uh, certain things were required. But what was typical of the construction industry, as it is in agriculture, is it started really early. And the, 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 the most of the, the, of the pull came at, came at 6 a.m. You know, people would go, hey, we need a bunch of people out and we need them now. So that 6 a.m. crowd would come in, they're gone. And then there's a whole bunch of other people waiting around for the scrap, so to speak. And I'd be calling people, finding out if they need work and all that kind of stuff. And there were additional calls and that's what's happening here. There's additional work that needed to happen. And so this master goes out looking for workers at 9 AM and he sees them standing idly and he notices they're there and says, Hey, come work for me. I'll, I'll give you what's right. I'll pay you what is right. And they agreed and they went into the, and they went into the field. Well, guess what? And going out again, verse five, about sixth hour in the ninth hour, he did the same thing. He's doing this constantly throughout the day. He's going and looking for workers. This is different than what normally happens. And so Jesus is kind of, he's painting a picture of something else here. He's going at six. He's going at nine. He's going at noon. That's what he's going at three. And he's looking for workers. It's pretty late in the day. Well, about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. This is verse six, 11th hour. What is that? That's, that's 5 PM. That's an hour before everything stops. This is the last hour he's out there and he's still hiring workers. Pretty wild. And he said to them, verse six, why, why do you stand here idly all day? (laughs) Great question. And they said to him, because no one has hired us, obviously. Yeah, right. And he said to them, well, you go into the vineyard too. You go into the vineyard too. Now, there's something about this worker that seems like it's just not about the work. There's something beyond him, <clears throat> excuse me, beyond what's going on. Seems like he's just having a heart for these people who don't have work. Doesn't it? <clears throat> I can understand six o'clock, nine o'clock. It's what? 12 o'clock. What do you, 
This is bad management now. Right? Is it bad management or is this exactly what he's planning on doing? Is this how he rolls? Why are you standing there idly all day? And they said to him, because no one's hired us. We're unwanted. We're at the last hour. He said, will you go into the vineyard too? And so you have people who have been hired at different points all through the day. Some have worked the entire day, some just one hour. And verse eight says, and this, check this out. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Normally we pay people, the first people who got their first and we get to the last people who got their last, right? That's, that's right. That's just, that's what we do. But what's happening here? The people who worked last got paid first and the people who worked first get paid last. Jesus is messing with us. That ain't right. Right? Disciples? That's not right. Why aren't I first? Yeah. That's exactly what he's drawing out there. Well, they paid him on that day. And this is the way it worked with day labor back then. And it's, it's usually the way it works with day labor as it does today. The jobs that I gave out, we paid them that day. And the reason why it was that way back then in, in, in Israel was Leviticus 1913. Moses uh, commanded them. He said verse in Leviticus, Leviticus 1913 says, you shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. Someone works for you on a day labor wage. You don't wait till the next day to pay them. Why? Because they need to eat that night. <laughs> How many of you want to eat? Wait till tomorrow to eat and you've worked all day and you're tired. You know, how many of you have been in the situation where you get hired in a job and you you're, you're on that funny part of the payroll where you have to wait three weeks, weeks for your first check. And you are starving. Any of you who are in a position of authority and responsibility, bypass that. Get rid of that. Like make an exception in your clause. Take care of that person for that first week so they have something to eat and something to do. I mean, talk to them about it. I'm just, that's just my own personal pet peeve. I think it's ridiculous. But besides that, I, you know, it's like we put payroll above the person. Anyways, you know, just, okay, I gotta stop. Anyway, they were paid the same day and notice that the last, the last to be hired was paid first. And, and the first to be hired was paid last. And verse nine says, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received what? A denarius. What did they receive? A full day's wage. How long did they work? One hour, one hour. That's a sweet deal. Amen. If you're that worker. Now, when those hired verse 10 hired first came, they thought they would receive more. They're doing the math in their head. Well, I should get, you know, 11 more days wages or whatever it is. You know, what's going on here? You know, I'm going to get a lot. They're already, you know, they've already maxed their credit card out They're They've got the extra toys and all that stuff. 
Remember the others hired two later at nine and three and five, they were told they weren't told the wage. They were told what I will pay you. What is right? What is right? But the question is what is right? According to, to whom whose version of right? Well, obviously the one who's paying, right? So everyone got a denarius a day's wage, including those who started working first and now are being paid last verse 11 and on receiving it. So when those who were hired first, verse 10, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the denarius verse 11 and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying these last worked only one hour and you have made it equal to us born the burden of the day and the scorching heat. <laughs> Can you hear it? Why aren't I first and better and more promoted? And Jesus is using these words precisely. He knows exactly what he's doing. What's he revealing? He says, you've made them equal to us. You've made them equal to us. You've made them the same as us. What are you doing? And how many of us kind of take their position and go, yeah, this is unjust. It's not right. What drives that? And this is what the Lord is bringing out. We do things differently than him. We do things differently than him. This is what Jesus wants the disciples to know. This is what he wants us to know. We've done all, we've done more. We've worked longer. We've been in heat all day and you are paying them the same as us. Are you tracking with their frustration? How many of you would be happy with that situation? No one would be. And Jesus painting the, here, the perspective of man, the perspective of the disciples. This is how we think. But here Jesus explains God's perspective, his kingdom. Verse 13 but he replied to one of them, friend, notice he's a friend, friend. I'm doing you no wrong. How so did you not agree with, with me for a denarius? Isn't that what we agreed to? You go work for me for a day for a denarius. I'm doing you no wrong. I told you what I would give you and I gave it to you. Did, did I not? He was absolutely fair with them. He did the absolute right thing and he paid them what they talked about. And that's the answer. Yes, he was. He was right. He did them no wrong. Now something within us sees this as an injustice. If you're paying the labor who worked only one hours, one hour a day's wage, then you should pay the one who worked all day way more or not pay that person that much. That's how we would work it out. Right? That's our math. That's our logic. Right. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted his disciples to wrestle with. This is how men sees things, but look at, but you see this parable is, is about, is about how is not about the kingdom of men. It's about the kingdom of God. This is how God does things in his kingdom. It's about what is right in his eyes. I will give you what is right. According to him, the one who's paying out. So the master says to the one complaining, I'm doing you no wrong. Take what belongs to you and go. Be blessed. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Isn't that interesting? It was the master's choice to pay the one who worked only one hour, the same as what the person who worked all day long, the same wage. We look at it as injustice. 
But God looks at it differently. God looks at it differently. You see the master out of his benevolence chose to pay everyone the same wage. This isn't revealing the injustice of God. This is revealing the grace of God. God is gracious in how he deals with us. Notice who's coming to who to give who work, who, whom, whatever it is. It's God or it's the master, right? Coming to the laborer and offering something they did not have and calling them to himself and giving them something. Whether it was 12 hours or one hour. And so the one who worked longer got the same as the one who worked one hour. That was the master's sovereign will. And it revealed what his generosity, his grace. And Jesus ends it in verse 16. And he says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Now I have to admit, this is really difficult to interpret. What's he talking about? And the question and the true answer is, I don't really truly know a lot of it. But I do know that to interpret this, we need to know what, what's in this parable, what means what. And so I'm just going to briefly tell you what means what. So if you're taking notes, just write this equals that, this equals that, this equals that, this equals that. And this will help us. All right. So number one, the master is, is, is in this parable is God. He's the master of the vineyard. He's the one who owns the vineyard. He's the one in charge of the whole farm. Okay. And the vineyard is the kingdom of God. The master is God. The vineyard is the kingdom of God. And the laborers are believers in the kingdom. Laborers are believers in the kingdom. The day of work is time. The day of work is time. Time. The evening is eternity. When we receive our rewards, we stand before him. The wage is eternal life. And the foreman is Jesus who we're all going to stand before and give an account and he will reward us and award us. Now what this parable shows us about the kingdom of God is that God rewards us on the basis of his grace. That's who he is. That's how he works on the basis of his grace. It's not the way we do things, but in his eyes, it's right. It's his eyes is right. It's not like the kingdom of man. And I believe the primary reward in view here, by the way, and reward or wage and by, we got to talk about that for a second. What's in view here is the reward is eternal life. That's what he's talking about is eternal life here. And we have to understand that the parable is not meant to lay out how one comes to salvation, but rather the heart of God who gives salvation. That's important to distinguish because if he was talking about how, sal- how, how we come to salvation, you don't earn it. You don't work for it. You don't get it. Okay. So that that's, that's not the point of it. The point is to reveal that the last are first and the first are last. And God is merciful in all of it. That's the point of it. And so Jesus uses this parable. It's important here because we know we don't earn salvation. God comes and finds us. He comes out and finds us in the world, sitting idle in the marketplace. And he calls us to himself. And as we believe upon his son and are born again, we are then transferred into the kingdom and we begin to serve and follow him. We are brought into the field. We are brought into his service. We're now his servants, his sons and daughters who do his will. And we're laboring in his kingdom. 
And there is a sense in which we're saved, but our salvation works. Does that make sense? We're saved, but the proof of our salvation, as James would preach, is that we work. It's worked out throughout our lifetime. There's fruit on the branches. Hey, I'm a Christian. Well, show me your fruit, James would say. Show me that you're really Christian by how you live, by what's in your heart, by how you interact with people, by your love for one another, by the way that you view God and you view the world and how you interact with sin and all these things. It has to prove itself out, right? And so it's proven out through our lifetime as we serve him and love him and follow him and all these types of things. And so our salvation is a big picture thing. And I've shared this with you before. We come to the Lord and we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Amen. Amen. But we're also sanctified. Salvation is this. He's not only saving, he not only saved us, he's saving us from the power of sin in our lives. As we love and follow him, he's changing us. He's, he's conforming us into the image of Christ through our lifetime. But we also, there's also a sense in which we are saved in that final day. When we stand before God, we're saved from the presence of sin. So we're saved from the power of, uh, from the penalty of sin, the power of sin and the presence of sin. That's the idea of salvation. It's a big picture thing. Does that make sense a little bit? We often preach, Hey, you're saved. It's like, yeah, you are absolutely saved when you believed in Jesus, but you're also being saved from the effects of sin in your life. And on that day, he will totally remove sin from your presence in the kingdom. Amen. And that is kind of when you receive the, the fullness of salvation. I don't want to say it's not full right now, but Hey, faith becomes sight. Amen. That's, that's the picture of what the Bible teaches about salvation. And so Works are a part of that. They're a proof of that, if that makes sense. And we'll be rewarded on the one hand, but we're not rewarded salvation in that it's just God's grace upon us. And this is kind of the distinction. The difficulty here is what is he talking about? Is he talking about rewards that you earn from, you know, from following Jesus faithfully? Or is he talking about salvation, which you don't earn here? So that's a difficulty here. And I just had to share that with you, but you don't earn your salvation, but our salvation works. <laughs> okay. The point is that believers who have been saved and are in the kingdom, we are, t- we, when we stand before God on that day, no matter if we served him from childhood into our elderly years or for 10 minutes before we died, God, because of his great, great mercy and his great love, undeserved love towards us in the midst of our sinfulness, he has all given us the same wage to believe upon his son, eternal life. Praise his name. Isn't that awesome? How his ways are not our ways. We would have a progressive tax system that would. And he just goes, you know what? You believe in my son for 10 minutes. You believe in my son your whole life. You all get the same wage, eternal life. That's my, the heart. I will pay you what is right. And what is right is what he says is right. And it's total 100% salvation for anyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ. Anyone who turns and believes they all get, we all have that same salvation, the same salvation that Moses has the same salvation that Enoch has the same salvation that the apostles had that Paul has. We all have it. It's the same. And doesn't that figure right? Because when God looks at us, although we are individuals, what are we looked at? Viewed at in his eyes as what? 
the body of Christ. We're one. We're viewed as the bride of Christ, the building of the church, the temple. We're viewed as one in, in a sense. It's not like, you know, the bathroom gets left out or, you know, this brick gets left out or gets less or whatever it is. We're one. And so there's a sense in which we're all brought into the kingdom. We all experience salvation. So I believe what he's talking about here is salvation. I want you to know that last will be first and first be last. And, and the concept of, of all this is that the G is that the disciples had just said to Jesus, Hey, we've left everything and followed you. What, what will we have? And the Lord tells them, Hey, you're going to rule over 12 thrones. You're going to, uh, you're going to rule over Israel and anyone who's left things for me, you're going to have recompense. Jesus says there at the end of chapter 30 or after chapter uh, verse 30 of chapter uh, 19, he just lets them know, Hey, listen, I'll take care of you. You're going to be rewarded, but I, but I want you to know that many who are first are going to be last. And this is what he's telling them as he, they're struggling with pride and position and status and all this kind of stuff. I want you to know what's happening how I deal with things. And although there are many ways we can look this, I think Jesus was waking the disciples and us up to the fact that he was not going to do it the way that they thought it should be done. Remember they're struggling with position and pride and rewards and all this stuff. And we're going to see this push on into the rest of the chapter with, with the mother of James and John saying, Hey, Jesus, I have this one request for you. Take my two sons and make one sit on the right and one on the left. And what do the other disciples do? Like, oh yeah, man. Cool. I've got, <laughs> they freak out. They grumble there. And this Jesus is going to the cross. Flip the page. He's going to the cross and they are struggling with this. And so this is the context there. The guys are thinking about the kingdom of God in a worldly way. And Jesus is teaching them about the truth of the kingdom, that it isn't self promotion. Uh, that, that, that enters one into the kingdom. It's the humble person with no status before God, like a child responding to him. They're the ones who enter. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That is, it isn't the one with riches who have access in his kingdom, but rather the ones who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom. Theirs is the riches. They're the ones who are truly rich before God, not the ones who are rich in worldly resources. You see, Jesus was opening their understanding. He was changing their hearts as he is with us about who he was and how he does things. And they were needing to know that God is exceedingly gracious so much. So, and we need to know this too, but for them, although they might be the first laborers in a sense, the chosen 12, the ones who are going to sit on the thrones and do all these things and God would take care of them. There would be those coming after them who wouldn't experience the heat of the day, who would be in air conditioning and walla walla and you know, Oh no, I didn't get my latte, but I love Jesus. You know, these, you know, the, the sufferings of the Americans here, <laughs> whoever it might be. They might not experience the fullness of the ministry that Jesus had called them to, or the intensity of the labor or the length of time or the, the, the martyrdom or all these types of things. Nevertheless, they too, why? Because of his great love and mercy would enter the same exact salvation that they had. Praise God. You have salvation, not based upon your works, but based upon his grace. It's not the way we do things. It's the way he does things. And man, what is the response to that as 
a lot of us in here are 11th hours laborers. Praise you. Thank you so much. I think that might be the context here. Teaching them about the heart of the father. And listen, there are a lot of ways we can look at this. There are a lot of ways we can look at this. And you can already see um, as we look at the hours as hours, as the span of history from the beginning of time until whenever the Lord comes back, we can look at it that way. And, the, and maybe the prophets being the original paid laborers and the disciples may be coming on at midday and, you know, and, and the Gentiles being hired in the final hours, maybe, or maybe even the Jews in, in the millennial kingdom type of a thing. We can look at it like that in one, in one, um, in one, uh, in one way, or we could look at this from the perspective of the perspective of the Jews being the ones grumbling that the Gentiles got the same wage as them. And Paul talks about this and he tries to talk about the unity. There is none of that in Christ. We are one, right? He doesn't dismiss the value of what they've done. He says, man, you held the, you had the law, the covenants and all these types of things. There is a great importance to what you had. You brought forth the Messiah but they didn't understand grace. Law is easy to get. Grace is difficult. Or we can look at it with the context of our human lifetime. And this is maybe the direct application that there are those, you know, who have lived their entire life fully devoted to the Lord. Maybe that's you. And yet maybe you had someone you prayed for and they came to the Lord just a, just a few months before they died, or maybe the last minute before they knew the Lord, they, they came to the Lord same wage. Praise God. Amen. Same wage, full wage. Why? Because they earned it. Because of what? He's just that awesome. He's that merciful and that gracious. Praise the Lord. Amen. Or that we could look at it as some have suffered extreme hardships for the Lord are suffering right now, extreme persecution and are suffering immensely lost family members, members have been segregated and persecuted and beaten and hurt and shot and ridiculed and all these types of things. And we look at them and we've deemed, you know, and then there's those who haven't same wage in the sense that we all enter by his grace so you might be sitting here saying, well, I just came to know the Lord late in life. I haven't had a chance to walk with him very much and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, there is a sense in which you, you miss out on knowing him and that accumulated knowledge over years. Amen. There is that truth to it. So there's a sorrow in it in, in that way. But let me tell you, <laughs> God isn't judging you on all that. He's given you grace in Christ Jesus. He's through faith in him. You have eternal life, just like the rest of us. And that's important to know. God's grace is overflowing to you. Don't let anybody beat you up over that. So God is abundantly gracious to us and we all get the same salvation. I love the equality of God. The world is longing for equality. Well, God is amazing, isn't he? In this sense. And by the way, as we look at this, as we close here, we, 
It is fitting. God looks at us as the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. We're one. And so there's a sense in which we all get the same, yet we are individuals. And I would also say we are rewarded individually according to what we have done. Listen, we all enter in the kingdom, but then again, we're rewarded according to our faithfulness. So I don't want you to think like, Oh, we all get this. We all get a trophy. Yes. In the sense that we all get rewards. We all get salvation. That is, and that's more than we can ever think, but you will also be rewarded according to what you've done. You have to read first Corinthians chapter three, verse 14. And he talks about this in many different places. So you'll be rewarded according to your faithfulness with what God has given you. He's not going to reward you according to the person next to you's faithfulness. He's recording you according to your faithfulness, right? So he is just, and he is fair. Man will reap what he sows. So that is important as well. And there are crowns described about, about those who persevere persecutions or those who win the lost and all this type of stuff. There are crowns that are given as rewards to believers in this life. But let me say again, that if you look at the 24 elders, what happens to all those crowns? What do we do with all those rewards and crowns? We cast them at the feet of Jesus. Who's the one who worked in us to will and to do his good pleasure anyways. And so we're all one. And I don't want to, it's not as if you're going to lose. Listen, God will give you what's right. <laughs> Let's just keep it that way. Right. God will give you what's right. And, and his right is better than your right. And it is so awesome. So we should bask in that. But on that day, when we stand before him and, and the work that he began in you is completed in the sense that we are glorified before him that day when our faith becomes sight, the day of our glorification, when we we will all experience him, we will have eternal life and we will be together and we will share that not only in this room with the ones of you who are following Jesus Christ, but with the believers in the other churches in here who follow Jesus Christ, the believers across the world through the beginning of time until the day that he comes back, we will all be together in that room, the glorious glassy sea praising and worshiping, worshiping him with a new song and crying out to him with praises. And he will create a new universe and things we have never understood. And there will be eternal revelation. There'll be no more crying, no more weeping for old things have passed away. There'll be no more pastor Matt on Sunday morning. Praise the Lord. I love that. But God will give us right. What is right. Listen to this. He gives us what's right. Not what we deserve. Do you really want to get what you deserve? Do you really want to get the wage that you deserve? The wages of sin is what? Death and hell and judgment. That is the wage. And he will pay that out. Absolutely. And he is going to, and he will be just in doing that for those who've rejected his son. But the gift of God is eternal life. And he gives it freely to all who come humbly like a child and cry out to him, say, forgive me, make me new. I believe that you died and rose again. Amen. What a glorious God we have. This is our God. Isaiah 55, six through nine. This is my exhortation to those who are listening. who have yet to come to know the goodness of God. Isaiah 55, six through nine. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. He will abundantly pardon. Why? Why would he do this? That's not the way it should be. Why would he do this? Verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways. My ways declare the, declares the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Amen. Lord, we just praise you for your great and mighty love towards us in Christ Jesus. And anyone here who has yet to give their heart to you to surrender. Now is the time. Call out to him, turn from your sin that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of this moment. Confess it to him, turn from him and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from the penalty of your sin. And not only to save you from the penalty of your sin, but to save you from the power of it. As he rose again on the third day, believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth and God will save you. Lord, thank you. And for us who are in the, in the vineyard, who you've called out of the marketplace, strengthen us for that day. Help us to be faithful servants. Help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we long for your return. We pray this in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Amen. If you need prayer, I'd love to pray for you.